In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required. Welcome into the Punt and Pass podcast. I'm your host, Drew Butler, joined once again by my awesome co-host, SEC football legend, all-time passing leader, touchdowns and yards. That'd be former Georgia and NFL quarterback Aaron Murray. Aaron, it is week three, week three, week three of SEC college football, the 2017 season, and once again, week two was awesome we must be doing something right because we are picking the perfect games to preview they did not disappoint again we want to welcome in all of our fans and listeners and thank you so much for tuning in once again to the punt and pass podcast we always appreciate you guys listening in and we appreciate you interacting with us on social media as well you can do that across all platforms we are at punt and pass on twitter and instagram email us at punt and pass at gmail.com aaron you are on twitter and Instagram at Aaron Murray 11 I am at Drew Butler 13 and we love to hear what people are thinking throughout the weekend while they're watching college football and there was a lot to think about in week two and there's sure to be again in week three so here's what we're going to do as per usual right here on the punt and pass podcast we're going to preview the three top games in the SEC a little bit different this week though because um, as you can tell by looking at the schedule of games, a few maybe cupcake games across the league will certainly take advantage of that. And we're going to do three small games on the back end. But this week, we have a huge SEC East matchup in Gainesville. We're covering number 23, Tennessee, at number 24, Florida. We're going to go west at, at number 12, LSU, going into Starkville, Mississippi, playing Mississippi State. And then we're going to touch on three games briefly, a little bit different than we've done in the past. It's Kentucky at South Carolina, which I think is an underrated football game. We're going to find out a lot about those two teams. Colorado State, Coach Bobo and the Colorado State Rams are heading into Tuscaloosa to play Alabama. And Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt of all teams, has an interesting game. Number 18, Kansas State, coming into Nashville to take on Vandy. So those are the three games we're going to touch on. We're going to recap these week two games that we picked here in a minute. But first off, Aaron, my man, how are you doing? Doing good, man. Like you said, another awesome week of college football. I think we're getting kind of pampered right now. I love the way that things have just been set up in week one and week two. I think these teams are realizing the importance of getting into the college to the playoff system and understanding that you need to play top talent week in and week out in order to build that resume to be able to have a chance to get in that top four at the end of the season. So it's, it's a blessing for us as fans because we're getting to uh, see these top games, these top teams go at it week in, week out. Uh, it makes for interesting Saturdays. Yeah, I mean, we're, we are really just ramping up after week one, week two, notably week one, as we touched on Alabama, Florida State, that top five matchup. Last week, you had Auburn going to Clemson, a top 15 matchup outside the SEC You had Oklahoma and Baker Mayfield whoop up on Ohio State, which I think uh, down south a lot of people liked to see. But you usually don't get that kind of action week one, week two, early September. And 
you said it. I feel like that college football playoff system has certainly forced schools into getting into this more of a routine style. Let's show what we're made of. Let's get a little test early on and uh, make something happen. Week two is awesome. There's no doubt about it. And I'm not going to brag, but I went 3-0 against the spread last week. I picked every single game right against the spread. These over-unders were not doing too well on. Uh, I went 4-2 and two last week. That brings my total uh, for the season when we picked the spread and the totals to 6-6. Six and six. You did a little bit better week two. You went 3-3. Three and three. That brings you to 4-8. and eight. Ooh, not too good for me. That's okay, though. It's only week two. The I, season is super young. This I mean, is why I stay away from Vegas. You know, I, I'm not good when it comes to this kind of stuff. But you must we're, just, we're getting better. I'll try to catch you. You must be going to Vegas with the wrong people, then. We could take yeah, the care wrong of that people. easily. <laughs> um, what you been up to? Did you have a good weekend? I know that Georgia-Notre Dame game was of notice. Uh, did you get to watch the Auburn-Clemson game? Were you busy all weekend? What was the deal? Yeah, that's a disappointing thing about this college football season a little bit is uh, when you can't be surrounded by a lot of TV. So we were at a little charity event Saturday night, one TV, four good football games on. So what we did was we got three guys, got their little iPhone set up right underneath the TV. Love it. I, I was streaming the uh, the Clemson game. Uh, another buddy was streaming the Ohio State game and then the uh, the USC Stanford game. And then we had the dogs on on the TV. So it was uh uh, my girlfriend's still a little mad at me for not giving her too much attention during the charity event. But listen, there's just too many good games on, like we talked about earlier. I wish they kind of would, would have spread them out throughout the day, so we're not all at that that seven to eight thirty timing. But yeah. uh, it was a beautiful night if you're a college football fan, though. But you just needed a lot of TVs to kind of see it all. I mean, what the hell are the schedulers thinking, putting those three games, the three best games of the day, on at the same time? That makes absolutely zero sense i mean the nfl would certainly never do that they'd put a game early they'd put a game midday then they put a game late at night you got to have the full buffet for the college fan bases to be able to feast on throughout an entire saturday that just makes for a mess because look if you had one game on late night um, and you're doing something like you were with your girlfriend i was at a wedding you know maybe you could get away from it check the box score stay in tune but man when you have three top games uh, of the early part of the season, like of the first six weeks of the season, I don't know why they would make them all at the same time. That's pretty stupid. For me, though, I was up in Connecticut at a wedding. It was gorgeous, but I'll tell you right now, um, I had the, the Georgia game streaming, and people were looking at me like I was crazy. They just don't understand the magnitude of college football. It, it, it's funny because uh, they were still all talking about the Patriots' loss on Thursday night, uh, how they're still going to win the Super Bowl. I'm going, man, this is what it's all about right here. College football, they are they are missing the boat, that's for sure, um, when it comes to how big SEC and college football is particular. But let's dive right into it. Let's talk about these Week 2 games, what happened, what we picked, and how it turned out. So the first game we picked last week was number 13, Auburn, going to Death Valley and playing the number 3-ranked Clemson Tigers. Clemson was given 5, the over-under was 53 and a half, and it was a low-scoring affair. I don't think either of us picked uh, it to be as low-scoring, but Clemson wins 14-6. to And that front seven for Clemson, man, just absolutely shuts down Jarrett Stidham. And I think, most importantly, that Auburn offensive line looked bad. They looked bad, and Clemson's defense, once again, is for real. Um, a lot of people were high on Auburn. I think it was certainly interesting to see how 
Stidham reacted when he got a little bit of pressure, content, con- consistent pressure on him. And, man, it, they didn't look good. I mean, six points. Clemson had 14 points, but they just did what it took, and they took care of business against the Auburn Tigers. I, I think it was a good measuring stick for where Auburn is this season. I think so, too, and I think the the biggest thing, like you talked about, is going back to that offensive line. Stidham was sacked 11 times, 11 times. You know, this this is something that not only you go back to the offensive line, but then you have to go back to the offensive coordinator. And what position are you putting your quarterback? What position are you putting your offensive line in against a very talented defensive line and defensive front seven? You know, sometimes you're going to have to maybe not spread it out, send four or five guys out and route. Maybe you got to keep a tight end in, keep a running back in, ship those defensive ends when they're out and route. Uh, find certain ways to be more creative with pass protection, with your plays. Uh, so your quarterback is not back there just getting hit 11 times a game because if he's going to do that in the SEC, he's not going to make it an entire season. And and I think for them, it definitely was a good measuring stick. Uh, I think they have a ways to go. You look back to their week one matchup uh, and, and they won handily, but they did not play extremely well on the offensive side of the football. Uh, and that carried over to last week. Um, and there's no reason why they got two great running backs. Uh, yes, they're missing carry on Johnson this past week with a, with an injury. Uh, I think when he gets back and they had that two headed monster in the backfield, that offense is going to change a little bit. Um, but they just got to go back to playing fundamentally sound f- uh, football, uh, converting some third downs. Um, but their defense looked great. And I think that's the strength of this def- or this team this year. You looked at week one, week two, you just look at these guys. They look good on, on the field. Uh, they look good coming off the bus. When those guys come off the bus, you're like, man, these are some big, scary dudes. That defensive line is legit. Uh, and right now they're way ahead of the offensive, uh, offensive side of the football, which is surprising for an Auburn team. So uh, they got to figure it out. Um, you know, there's still a long season to go in. And lucky for, lucky for them, uh, this loss was uh, against a very good team on the road, uh, and it was an ACC opponent. This had nothing to do with their SEC hopes and dreams. Um, they definitely got to get together though, because the sec West is very talented this year. Uh, a lot of good teams on that side of the, of the conference. Yeah. You know, sec West, not exactly the division of college football where you want to have a weak offensive line. And, and to be a hundred percent Frank, if you get sacked 11 times in a football game, you're not going to win said football game could be in some sort of the same predicament that Georgia was a year ago, two stud quarterbacks. I know Jacob Eason was just a freshman last year, but Jared Stidham, has not played football in a while, and when you get pressure like that and can't even rely on the run game to, to open up the passing game, that will make for some long, long football games. And, dude, I tell you what, I don't know if you ever got sacked 11 times. I surely did not, but if I did, I might not be that excited to show up to practice on Monday and Tuesday. What about you? Yeah, I, got, I think it actually was my freshman year versus Auburn at Auburn. Uh, that was kind of the year Nick Fairley was uh, <laughs> throwing me Sorry he was throwing laugh. me around like a little rag doll. Jeez. Yeah, it was not a good day. And that was the first time in my life I kind of reconsidered, do I actually want to play college football? <laughs> yeah, dude, I literally, after the game, you. I was like, I don't know if this is for me. It's, that'll make you question some things. Oh, man. I mean, fractured sternum. I had eight oh. stitches in my chin. Um, I look like I got in a car accident. That's and so I'm sure Sidon was feeling the same way come Sunday morning. I mean, those 320-pound dudes just pounding on you. It's not a good feeling, and uh, I'm hoping he has a nice little girlfriend taking care of him right now because he's going to need a lot of love and heading into this Mercer game this weekend. That's so funny. So one of my good friends, just to talk about how bad you felt after that game, you know, I went to a new high school called Peachtree Ridge High School 
uh, in Swanee, Georgia, and we were the first charter class. So when I was a freshman, it was the first year the school had opened. Well, my sophomore year was the first year I ever played co- uh, high school football, and we jumped straight into 5A in Georgia. So we were all sophomores playing 5A football, right? My best friend, Tommy Donatello, who's now a defensive assistant for the Seattle Seahawks, he was a starting quarterback. Dude, we would, I mean, every single halftime, it'd be 35 nothing, 40 to nothing, 49 nothing. This was at halftime, okay? He legitimately had like a running appointment at the hospitals on Friday night. He would be so beaten down and battered and bruised. I think his mom would just put him in the car and they'd go to a hospital, a concussion check, IV. I mean, he. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. So God bless the quarterbacks, especially when there's no offensive line. I mean, line we just get punished with no somewhere. offensive line, man. There's not much to do. And then, like I said, it goes back. <sighs> it goes a little back to a little bit the the OC. And I know they're going to kind of make a little change up this week, moving Chip Lindsey up to the booth. Uh, he was on the sideline the first two games, and they're going to put him up there. And and we're going to see if that helps out. Maybe he can see the game a little bit better from up there and, and make some better calls. And and put his QB in a better position so he's not getting his head chopped off. Wow. Um, but, yeah, they need to do something. Offensive line, their OC, find ways to be more creative in the uh, pass protection a little bit. Yeah, they, they better do that, and they better do that in a hurry. Uh, you picked Auburn with the five points. That didn't happen, but you did go under in that game, so you were one and one on the first game. I picked Clemson, minus five. They covered, but I went over, so I was one and one as well on to the next game which was one of the best games of the weekend number 15 georgia bulldogs traveled up north to south bend to take on the number 24 notre dame fighting irish and they squeaked it by they won by a score of 20 to 19 georgia was getting four points the over under was 55 and a half so obviously georgia with the upset taking the points and this game went under 55 and a half but man i think the storyline here one of them especially and i think nbc showed it extremely well on TV was just how much this Georgia fan base traveled up, took advantage of an awesome trip up north, and made a difference throughout the game because uh, as Kirby Smart, Coach Kirby Smart alluded to in postgame, they were able to go on cadence, that, that, that type of raucous, loud, away game situation wasn't exactly there. So Jake Fromm, his first start as a true freshman on the road, had some advantages, but I thought Georgia's defense looked awesome. You're talking about guys like Lorenzo Carter and Davin Bellamy who look the part, and we talked about this in our season preview weeks ago. They're playing the part. They are attacking off the edge. Uh, Mike McGlinty, who had a few choice words for Georgia's defense leading up to the week, he got abused on the last play of the game. Davin Bellamy just absolutely takes him up and outside and gets the sack fumble to win the game what were your overall thoughts on how Georgia looked I know some people are still questioning what the offense can do Uh, I would I would argue that Jacob Eason is a pretty happy guy because you need Jacob Eason okay Notre Dame's defense stacked the box they tried to shut down the run and force Jake Throm to beat him with his arm and when you have Jacob Eason back there he's the kind of guy who can thread the needle push the ball downfield and really force that pass game when you need it most so Talk to me about what you saw in this Georgia game. Uh, you took the points and went under, so that was a 2-0 and pick for Aaron Murray. Good call there. You, you look good, and you pick college football games too good as well. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But, yeah, going back to the this game, it definitely was an exciting game to watch. Uh, a little bit of a sloppy game right now, and I think Georgia has some concern right now. 
uh, 12 penalties for 126 yards. Uh, and that's not a type of team that, that anyone wants, especially and Kirby. And that's really what kept Notre Dame in the game. Those penalties yeah, right there. You're right there. You're keeping teams in the game with that. And then just awful third down play four of 18. Uh, that's a recipe for, for disaster between the penalties and not staying on the field and completing those, those third down. But it goes back to the defense. Once you said that defense is finally playing the way they need to play and playing the way that those guys look, you know, they've, They've looked like Tarzan, but played like Jane in the past. I think that last year you go on the field and, and you see the Lorenzo Carters and the, the Davin Bellamy's and you're like, man, these guys are impressive, but why aren't they getting after the quarterback? Why aren't they stopping the run? You know, there's a lot of question marks into the season is, you know, these guys look good, but can they go out there and produce, you know, they look good on paper, but right now they're going out there and playing with a chip on their shoulder. I think year two in the defensive scheme, a little bit of understanding about where their positions are, what the scheme is, what they're doing out there. Uh, they feel more comfortable. They're able to get after the quarterback and and just play rather than thinking. So I think this defense is going to have to continue doing this week in, week out right now. Uh, and I hope they're ready for the task because this offense, in my opinion, is not looking too fun, too juicy. Uh, had these, these first three weeks, it's just – uh, it's a basic offense. I don't find it very exciting to watch. When I turn on the TV and watch this offense, it's like, you know what's going to happen. You know where they're running. You know when they're passing. Uh, it's not dynamic. Uh, it, it's very unfortunate because they do have dynamic football players on this offensive side of the football. Um, but it is hard. It is very tough when you do not have a very good offensive line who's able to pass for tech, who's able to run the ball and pound it down and off opposing uh, uh, opposing defense's throat. So, until they get guys up the on uh, the front five right there to kind of uh, just lay it on a defense, they're going to struggle offensively, uh, and that's why the defense is going to have to step up the, throughout this entire season. Yeah, the defense is going to have to step up, and you you made a good point about the play calling in the offense, and, and obviously you could take a look at the situation and go, okay, well, they've put the freshman quarterback in, but you have to take pressure off of the freshman quarterback. I thought the lack of use of the tight ends in South Bend was pretty alarming. I think Isaac Nada had two or three targets. That guy's a game breaker. He is a playmaker. Jeb Blazevich, obviously a bit stronger blocking, but he's shown the ability to pass and create separation and get downfield. Then you throw a guy like Charlie Warner in who's a mismatch waiting to happen. You, you feel like you would approach the security blanket of a quarterback like the tight ends, open that option up at least, just take some pressure off the run game, allow Jake Fromm as a true freshman in his first road start to kind of ease into some short to intermediate throws, and that just hasn't happened yet. Now Georgia gets to take a deep breath. Uh, Samford comes into town. They'll take care of that game easily, hopefully, and then they'll prepare for a nice little matchup against Mississippi State when Nick Fitzgerald comes into Athens but you picked that game right we're going to watch the involvement of this Georgia offense as the season progresses and hopefully if Jacob Eason comes back again again they can uh, take advantage of some playmakers well I'm excited to see Fromm's development I think the guy uh, I think he's a gunslinger I think he goes out there and plays a lot of heart a lot of emotion uh, and he didn't have an awful game I mean 16 of 29 141 yards a touchdown uh, a bad interception I think he stares down his receivers a little bit too much he's at like times. Yeah, he's a freshman. But the good thing with him right now is getting these reps, 
is he's going back. He's being able to watch the film, see his mistakes, see what he's doing right, correct it in practice since he's getting the first team reps. But like you said, they gotta they gotta utilize more of the tight ends. They gotta make the the game plan a little bit easier for them. Uh, and then we need some more production from Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle. Only 136 yards rushing, one touchdown from those two guys. Uh, supposedly the top you know running back tandem in the country. Um, but it's going to be difficult. Teams are going to load the box. They're going to bring a safety down. They're going to have eight man spacing up front. Uh, and, and it's just difficult. It's tough sledding to run the ball. So they're just going to uh, beg you to beat him with. Yeah. The and Jake from, so the development of Jake from, from week in the week out should hopefully open up this offense, uh, create a, you know, more of a seven man box. Uh, once the pass game hopefully develops, but this defense going back to them, it's a hold the quarterback. Uh, just talking about Notre Dame, Brandon Wimbush, uh, a guy who the previous week for his temple had over a hundred yards rushing. Uh, that kind of worried me heading into a little deep this game. You know, when a quarterback is able to run, extend plays, make plays with his feet, that's a difficult task for, for our defense right there. And I was uh, looking forward to seeing what Georgia can do, especially heading into that Mississippi state in two weeks where you pace a quarterback like Nick Fitzgerald, who can run, create with his legs. Um, and like I said, go back to this Notre Dame game. They end up hitting, holding Brandon Wimbush uh, to just one yard on 16 carries. That's huge. Huge. Yeah. And I think that's great practice heading into future games when you, you kind of play that kind of quarterback. So I think that's a huge plus for this defense to see that they can handle these type of QBs and these type of games. No doubt. Regardless of the offensive struggles, Georgia getting that win was huge. Could be the kind of trampoline effect game that they need heading into 2017 to know that they can – take care of business late in a game on the road. I picked that game as as well, same as you did. I took the points with Georgia, went under 55 and a half. 2-0, baby. Let's cover this last game from week two real quick. We picked the South Carolina at Missouri game. Jake Bentley still on a tear. Missouri's defense still terrible. We took the points. We both said it would go over 72. Obviously, that didn't happen. South Carolina won by a score of 31 to 13, but Aaron... Looking down the road, that Georgia-South Carolina game, November 4th, if South Carolina can keep this up, and I know this is probably a bit of an overreaction because we're only in week two, but Will Muschamp is, is, has put something in the water there because this offense is awake, and to me that's pretty scary because that defense will always play pretty well. What's going on in Columbia? Yeah, looking back at that game, you're down 10 nothing uh, in the second quarter. Missouri's kind of looking like they're good. They got a nice long touchdown. Uh, looking like, hey, man, this is going to be a high-scoring game once again for Missouri. Uh, and then you got Debo Samuel, uh, probably one of the most dynamic guys in the SEC, if not in the entire country, returns yet another kickoff, kind of switch the momentum. Next series, uh, South Carolina gets a pick goes in and scores again. It's just the, the momentum changed. They got some juice. Um, and that defense, like you said, that defense is rolling at the moment. Uh, and the offense is coming right behind with, with the quarterback who I love watching Jake Bentley, uh, another guy who, who plays a lot of emotion, a lot of heart. I mean, this guy is throwing touchdowns and sprinting 90 yards afterwards just to celebrate and be with his teammates. And, and that's the kind of quarterback you love. That's the kind of leader you love. And, and once again, another great game for him. 18 of 28, 187 yards, one touchdown. Uh, but the big player, like I said, is Debo Samuel, a very talented guy on the outside, not only in the kickoff return game, not only in the receiving game, but they're getting him, finding him creative ways with jet sweeps, uh, running the ball. 
things like that. Just get the guy the ball, yeah, get him in, in his space. hands. Yeah, put him in yeah space, just give him his bit. Let the guy do work, and and he's done that. Um, my biggest surprise from this game was the Missouri offense. You can talk about offense the, the week before, over 700 yards, 70 points, uh, was rolling early, and then Drew Locke kind of just hit a, a roadblock uh, and ended up only going 14 of 32, two interceptions. Um, you know, not and and they don't have a great defense. So if this offense can't go out there and produce, they're not going to be able to stop teams. Uh, I was looking for a little bit more of a high-scoring game. I was a little disappointed with the score at the end of the day. But uh, like you said, South Carolina looks like a team uh, on the rise in the East, uh, maybe a little bit of a dark horse right now. Uh, and they're going to definitely give some teams some headaches, especially if you have to play in South Carolina, a very hostile, hostile area to play in uh, with a team that's only getting better and better on the offensive side of the football. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and again, we both took the points. We thought South Carolina would win, but – Missouri's offense did not wake up at all, and I think that's probably uh, probably what you'd expect to see most out of Missouri in 2017. So to recap our picks again from week two, I went four and two. The train is on the tracks. You went three and three, making a sweet little comeback. Let's dive in to our week three matchups. So our week three matchups, we're going to Gainesville first. This is a great rivalry game. The number 23 Tennessee Volunteers are heading into Gainesville to take on the number 24 Florida Gators. And yes, this game is still going to take place in Gainesville, regardless of Hurricane Irma's effect on the state of Florida. And Tennessee's riding high. They're still riding high off that dramatic week one double overtime victory against Georgia Tech. Florida, on the other hand, is coming off just one game, a terrible week one loss to Michigan, did not play a week two game because of weather concerns. Despite an abysmal offense, the Florida Gators are somehow a five-point favorite. I think mostly because they have a historically solid record against Tennessee. Look, if Florida wins this game after they're showing a week one, I feel like Butch Jones's hot seat could re- reach volcanic levels. I mean, they might hit the eject button if Tennessee is not able to take care of business down in Gainesville. This is going to be a great game. There's no doubt about it. These two teams play with a ton of emotion. What are your overall thoughts heading into this SEC East rivalry game? And if you look at the other side, I think McIlwain, if they go 0-2 right now, with especially these offensive struggles and the struggles this team's had on that side of the ball these past couple years, I think now he's on the hot seat. Oh, yeah. In year three. So I think both these coaches realize the importance of getting a win this week early in the season uh, and kind of being off off the chopping blocks. But uh, for this Florida team, the one thing I look at whenever you have a bad loss, the one thing you want to do is go back and play football. You want to be able to get into that next week, start game planning, getting ready. And with last week's game canceled, this team's had to continually go over you know, their first game versus first Michigan and, and just rehash that instead of kind of getting it out of their out of their memory. They've had it in their brain for two weeks about how bad they played that day, uh, especially on the offensive side of the football. So it's very tough for those guys. Um, hopefully they can come back. Yeah, I would agree, too, man. And, it, you know, this line is super interesting. Florida could not score an offensive touchdown a week one yet. They're giving five points to Tennessee. Uh, the over under here is forty nine and a half. I would think this game goes over. 49 and a half but this Tennessee team they play they play their ass off for coach Butch Jones it's it's kind of fun to watch it might be in the long term detrimental because they should have lost that Georgia Tech game 
Uh, they obviously had fun against Indiana State just a week ago. But if they go down into the swamp and beat Florida, especially ever after everything that happened last week, Florida didn't play a game. I think the most important thing is going to be trust your playmakers for Tennessee. Okay, Quentin Dormady looked decent week two. He he settled in week one. But John Kelly, that running back, is a stud. They need to feed him the ball, uh, throw it up to Marquez Callaway. I think that's his name, right? Marquez Callaway. The, Marquez Callaway, yeah, that's yeah, him. He is an absolute stud. I would expect Tennessee to win this game. I'm going to take the points, okay? Give me the five points. I like the Tennessee Volunteers in this game. They just have more to play for. I really do think so. The quarterback, the continued quarterback uncertainty in Gainesville worries me. I mean, they took Felipe Franks out. You said it before the first game was even played. Ride with Felipe Franks. Uh, then they throw Malik Zaire in there, and it looked like me at quarterback. That was not a pretty sight to see. I just don't see how Florida's offense can wake up against this Tennessee defense that does have the playmakers to match up with them. I would expect Tennessee to go in there, have a solid offensive game plan, and beat Florida. Give me the five points. I go over 49.5, and, and, and I would expect Tennessee to take care of business this weekend. The thing, the thing I'm worried about a little bit with Tennessee, and I do have them win this game, but... Uh, Quentin Dormady, I, I, this is going to be a very hostile environment. His first time really in this type of environment. Yeah, you know, you go down true. to the swamp. Uh, there's going to be a lot of issues when it comes to communication. Yes. It's going to be loud. It's going to be rowdy. Uh, he had two turnovers last week versus Indiana State, and, and this Florida defense is no joke. Going back to the Michigan game, a couple pick sixes. So, you know, this team, this game could turn sloppy fast if he doesn't get, take care of the football. And, and that's his goal now heading into this week three, a young quarterback who's getting better each week, hopefully. Uh, and now he needs to make that next stride of not turning the ball over, especially in these big games against a good defense on the road. So uh, he needs to protect it. And then on the other side of the football with Florida and just looking at their QB situation right now, I think uh, once again, it's unfortunate that they, they weren't able to kind of play a lesser opponent last week in Northern, Northern Colorado. Uh, to kind of work out some of the kinks, kind of get some confidence for for Felipe Franks. Uh, so I'm still interested to see what is their identity on offense. Yeah. And and the big thing for them that's going to help them out is run the ball. I mean, they have 66 yards rushing on 21 attempts. If you can't run the ball, you can't pass the ball. You got to have some balance. You got to help the young kid out. So they need to find ways to be able to run the ball, pound it. Uh, and then from there, hopefully the passing game will open up for them. Yeah, I mean, you, you just said it best. A guy like Quentin Dorberty going into the swamp, look, if he struggles early against Florida's defense, maybe throws a pick and then that fan base gets going, if, if Florida's defense smells blood in the water, they're going to take him underneath and just absolutely drown him. I mean, this is not Georgia Tech. This is not, oh, let me pick up my bearings and I'll play better third and fourth quarter. No, that stadium is going to be rocking. And that Florida defense is the type of defense that can absolutely take all of the breath out of Quentin Dormady's air. Um, and then you just said it. I mean, it's so f- it's it sounds so cliche and so easy, but it's true. Football is not a hard game. You've got to be able to run the ball to be able to pass the ball. You have to convert third downs. Are you making tackles? If you do the small things right, and, I, and this is coach speak, but it's the truth, you'll have a better chance to win the game. So I would look at the small things in this game. Who converts the most third downs, okay? Who doesn't turn the ball over? And who manages the game best? That's who will win this game, and I do think Tennessee does that. So what's your pick? Are you taking the points and the over-unders 49 and a half? 
I'm going under. Uh, once again, I don't think this Florida offense uh, has has the, has had the chance to find his identity, especially with the game canceled last week. So I don't see them going out there uh, and playing too well on that side of the football. And I think Tennessee will struggle a little bit offensively, just dealing uh, with a road game against a very talented defense. So I'm going under, um, but I have Tennessee covering. Um, I think they're going to end up winning, getting a, a couple more touchdowns just because that offense is better than, than Florida's. All right, awesome. So we both take the points. Tennessee, I go over that 49.5. Aaron stays under the next game, which I think is great because you and I both know how hard it is to play in Starkville at night, especially when there's something on the line. The number 12 LSU Tigers head into Starkville and take on Mississippi State at 7 p.m. LSU is a seven-point favorite. The over-under is 51.5. And I think this is a great test for LSU's new offense with Matt Canada at the helm. Uh, Danny Etling and Darius Geis are going to have to pick it up. But listen, Dan Mullen and Mississippi State, the, it's it's a smaller environment, but it's a hostile environment. And those night games at Starkville, they're different, especially when you're used to playing at a place like Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge. Now, look, we went there one time, and it was not the prettiest outcome that we wanted. Uh, our boy Ben Jones may or may not have made a pretty boneheaded play late in the game and got suspended for a half of the next week's game. I don't know if you remember that or not, but don't be surprised if this game is close until the finish. Nick Fitzgerald, the quarterback for Mississippi State, is the type of player who can keep the Mississippi State Bulldogs in this game against LSU's tough defense. If Mississippi State can hold their own against Darius Geis and this new offense, I think an upset alert should be issued across the state of Louisiana. So, again, LSU heading into Mississippi State, seven-point favorites. That total is 51.5. Your thoughts, please, Aaron Murray. Yeah, I definitely think this is an upset in the making right here. I think this is an LSU uh, team uh, that we don't know much about just yet. I, I think that's a you can say that for both teams who haven't really played a, a tough opponent in their first two games. Um, so you're looking at this LSU team. They're young on defense. I know they got Arden back, uh, defensive end uh, Arden Key, uh, who had an offseason shoulder, shoulder surgery. Uh, so him coming back is going to be crucial for this LSU defense, but still a very young defense. Uh, and then an offense that's still, I'm looking what what can they do against a good deep, good team that is going to stack the box, has a great defensive line, is going to give Darius guys some problems. And Danny Etling's going to need to step up and play. Uh, he, he's played well. He's managed games these first couple weeks. He's made some good throws, but now I think there's going to be a lot more put on his plate this game to stretch the field vertically, uh, to find some playmakers, great plays in the passing game. Uh, and I just don't know if I trust him. I don't know if LSU trusts him enough to go out there and make those plays to kind of balance off this uh, this offense. Uh, so right now I'm like a Mississippi State in this game. I think Ooh. they, I think Todd Grantham. Um, even oh, though I think he's a God. crazy guy over there on defense. <laughs> I and mean, we both have very similar feelings about Todd Grantham, yes. but I think he's done a great job over there uh, with that defense. So far, you look at that front seven, what they've been able to do. I got to give my boy Christian Robinson some, oh, some goodness. love, the linebacker coach oh, for, for Mississippi there. state, my okay. old roommate. Okay. Uh, I mean, those guys are playing well on defense. They are. Uh, and then, and then you look at Nick Fitzgerald on offense. I mean, last week, 235 total yards, five touchdowns. Uh, 124 of them through the air and 111 rushing. And we talk about those quarterbacks that can make plays with their feet uh, is such a huge part of this game nowadays. Uh, and it's going to test this young LSU defense. Yeah, they're talented, 
but they are young. They're playing on the road. And like you said it best, playing in Starkville at night, those cowbells ringing. Um, I still have nightmares sometimes about those bells <laughs> ringing. I wake up sweating. I mean, it is a hostile environment. Uh, and these guys are going to have their hands full, uh, I think, with a very talented Mississippi State team. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to see what's going to happen this week. We're going to see Dan Mullins and, and uh, seeing what kind of team he, he has rolling this year up in Starkville. Yeah, so, okay, you take the seven points. You think Mississippi State wins outright. Do you go over or under that 51-and-a-half mark? I'm going over. I look for, I think, Mississippi State offensively is going to have a great day. Uh, I think LSU, they're going to they're gonna have enough plays on offense. I think it's tough to to fully contain Darius Geis. I think he's going to have his another good game. Uh, and like I said, Danny Etling is going to have to show us what he has, you know, and also Canada at the offensive coordinator. Um, you know, they've had some a few receivers emerge these first couple weeks, DJ Clark, Russell Gage. Uh, but those guys are going to have to have a big game uh, and they're going to have to do that the rest of the season because they need they need more of a balanced offense. Yeah, you know, I, I would love for Mississippi State to win this game because they, they roll into Athens the week afterwards. I'd love them to be riding high. I don't want them to lose, kind of be desperate, understand what they have to do to win the big game. Um, I, I'm torn on this game. I really, really am. It jumped out to me on the schedule. You just said it. It's tough to play in Starkville at night, but Coach O has these Tigers playing sound football right now, and I think what they did the first week against BYU was pretty telling. I know there was a, a scheduling change in that game, and they had to move it to New Orleans instead of playing in Houston. I'm going to go with LSU here, I, I, and I do think they cover. I think this defense just figures out a way to terrorize Nick Fitzgerald. I don't think they let him have the type of success he's been having. Look, if he's going to try to create with his legs and extend plays, LSU has the speed at the linebacker positions and has the speed on that front four to where they can beat somebody up front and get Nick Fitzgerald's face and make him make mistakes. I mean, let's put it, let's put it what it is. LSU's got the best athletes on defense year in and year out. I look for these guys to shut down Mississippi State's offense. Okay, I'm going to go LSU minus seven, and I'm going under that 51 and a half. I just do not see Mississippi State scoring a lot of points here, and I think LSU's defense is the difference in this game. But I tell you right now, I will be tuned into that game because it will be awesome in Starkville. Uh, I'll just probably watch it on mute because, again, those cowbells are awful, just absolutely terrible. So, yep, that's me. LSU minus seven. I'm going under. That is probably my must-watch game this week. I really think so. That Tennessee-Florida game will be fun, but that LSU-Mississippi State game will probably be really, really good late in the fourth quarter. Okay, so we told you earlier in the show we're going to touch on three um, interesting games. We're going to give you three quick picks, and I think it's it's an overall decent week, not the best week because we've been spoiled weeks one and two, but let's go to these three other games that we talked about, Aaron, or we said we were going to talk about, starting with your boy, Coach Mike Bobo, those Colorado State Rams, rolling into Tuscaloosa to take on number one ranked Alabama. Um, I text Joe Cox this week, Joe Cox, the tight ends coach for Colorado State, former Georgia quarterback, and I said, Joe, beat Bama. That's all I said. He goes, yes, sir. Bama's given 28.5 points. The over-under is 51.5, and and unfortunately for Coach Bobo and the boys, I would have to think Bama probably takes care of business here, but it'll be a great measuring stick for the Colorado State Rams and especially for Coach Bobo to get a little bit of national recognition to show what he's done with this football team out west. 
Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity for Coach Bobo and this team to kind of to show them where they're at. Uh, and they've had a good season so far, going two and one. Uh, they had a little bit of a, a, a tough sledding in week two versus Colorado, losing 17 to three. But I think he has a great offense right now that's rolling. Uh, their QB, Nick Stevens, uh, has had four consecutive 300-yard passing games and his ninth multi-touchdown performance uh, in the last 10 games. So the kid can play on offense. They got a lot of talent around him. Uh, but for, for them right now, I think the big thing is, is their defense is playing extremely well. Uh, seven interceptions so far this season. Wow. Uh, Jalen Hurts doesn't usually give the ball away too much. He's done a great job this year of, of being someone of a, of a game manager. But I think this Colorado State team can go out there and hold their own. Uh, I just think at the end of the day, this Alabama team is too big, too physical, too strong, too everything, uh, just dynamic on both sides of the football where uh, they're just going to wear Colorado State down like they do everyone else. Third, fourth quarter, uh, they're going to pull away. I think the first two quarters, Colorado State might make it interesting. I just don't think they have the depth uh, to play at this level just yet. Uh, but Coach Bo was doing an awesome job. Um, I think the big storyline for me in this game, which is interesting, uh, is Jalen Hurts and, and what the media has been uh, saying about this kid all week. Uh, that they haven't seen the development from year one and year two that they thought they would see. And and I'm kind of surprised. I mean, I thought he's played extremely well for his first two games. Running the ball, passing the ball, he's been a very dynamic player, a tough player to contain. Uh, I mean, he has 209 yards rushing, two touchdowns last week. He was 14 of 18, 128 yards through the air. I think that's a pretty good game. And I thought he played well in week one versus Florida State. Uh, yeah, it's nothing flashy. It's nothing that's going to win you the Heisen, but it's a quarterback in that Alabama team that he didn't, he hasn't turned the ball over. He's played sound. He's created plays with his feet. Um, and this media needs to get off his back. And I think Nick Saban did a great job of coming to his aid this week uh, and kind of defending him and telling the, telling the, the media the same thing. No, dude, see, you're wrong there because if you're the quarterback at Alabama, you need to throw for 300 yards at a 75% clip and, and you must rush for 150 to 200 yards each game. And if the team does not win by 40 points, it's a failure. And you're a failure, not only as a football player, but as a human being. That's the Alabama way. So don't get it twisted, Aaron. Do not it's let, unbelievable. I mean, do it's not unbelievable. Let Nick Saban talk you, talk you out of that. But I, I love I love Jalen Hurts. He, he is core this week. As a leader on the team, I continue to lead and continue to win. Win. Let's go. And that's what we have to do. We have to win. And the kid is winning. The kid is balling out. So you, you Alabama fans need to take a chill pill, relax, enjoy what this kid is doing right now because there's not a lot of QBs, maybe a couple, I can tell you, that can run and pass the way he is right now. Maybe Lamar or definitely Lamar Jackson, what he's been able to do on the ground and with his arm. But this kid, Jalen Hurts, uh, probably the number you know, top five dual threat quarterback in all of college football right now. Yeah, I, I just get I off his back. I can't even imagine what it must feel like to be spoiled uh, like an Alabama fan. I mean, spoiled. It's, it's ridiculous. Spoiled. I, I, I work with one, a couple of them, and they just, oh, man, it's it's amazing what they, they have been. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, Nick Saban has built an unbelievable culture there. They win. And they went often, they went a lot, and they win some championships. So. But God bless yeah. them. Uh, do you think Colorado State can score enough points to cover that 28 and a half? You Ooh, think? 20. I think so. I okay. think I think I think they have a, a like I said, their offense is, is has played well this season, uh, minus that second game where they had a couple touchdowns called back. 
Uh, and I think the defense is playing great right now. Um, so I, I look forward to that defense and, and seeing how they match up against Jalen Hurts. And the one positive is Bobo has been in this situation. He's played against Alabama as a coach. He knows the scheme a little bit. He knows how to coach against them. So hopefully he'll have a, ga- a great game plan and, and have those guys hyped up and ready to roll. But uh, I'd still see Alabama winning. Like I said, I think it's a depth issue. I think they have yeah. too much talent on their ones and twos. Uh, to kind of just continue to pound it away. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. Bama's going to win this game, obviously, and I think they cover as well. The depth issue comes into play in the second half, and they just kind of wear down Colorado State. But it'll be a good showing for the Rams, and I think Coach Bobo will get a lot of respect. The next game that we have is Kentucky at South Carolina. We, we mentioned it earlier in the show. Jake Bentley is on an absolute tear. This is another SEC East matchup, so South Carolina can kind of put their foot down and show everyone exactly where they're at right now. They're giving six points in this game. The over-under is 50.5. I want your quick thoughts on this one. Kentucky heading into Columbia. South Carolina is giving six points. The over-under is 50.5. I like South Carolina. I like the way they're playing on defense. Uh, I like what they have on offense with Jake Bentley and, and Debo Samuel. Uh, I think they uh, are fun to watch. And uh, my big question mark with this team was the defense, but they've looked great uh, these first couple weeks. Um, but I, I like Kentucky. I, I think Mark Stoops has uh, is, is built a team that's getting better and better every year, uh, going 7-6 and six last year. Uh, they got a bunch of starters back on both sides of the football and, and they're playing well right now, but I just think South Carolina is too talented. Um, and like I said, I'm a big fan of Jake Bentley and what, and the, and the energy, the juice that he's bringing, uh, to that offensive side of the football to kind of match what they're doing on defense. So you're taking, you're giving the points away. You're going South Carolina minus six. Yes. South okay. Carolina minus six and over under 50 and a half. Talk to me. Oh, Hmm. I'm going over. Yeah, I'm going over. I think the South Carolina offense is going to put some points on the board this weekend. Yep. Okay. I'm in complete agreement with you on that. I think Jake Bentley is too good, and I think South Carolina's defense is very good. So expect Kentucky to look like usual Kentucky. South Carolina covers, and this game goes over that 50.5 mark. And my sleeper game of the week to wrap up week three here on the Punt and Pass podcast. The number 18 Kansas State Wildcats are going into Nashville to play at Vanderbilt. And for whatever reason, if you watch enough SEC Network like I do, Vandy getting some love, getting some early season love. The SEC East may not be as bad as people think, but this is a great non-conference test for the Commodores. Bill Snyder bringing in his Big 12 Wildcats into Nashville I have no idea what's going to happen in this game. I really don't, but something tells me that Kansas State's just going to walk into Nashville, take care of business, and Derek Mason and those Commodores are going to get a nice slice of humble pie. What say you, my man? I agree with you on that one, and they're going to need a big game. Uh, and I'm speaking of Vandy right here from their quarterback, Kyle Shermer, a uh, guy who's thrown 35 or 46 for seven tutties and no interceptions so far this season. So mm. he's been on a roll. Mm. Um, I need to see Ralph Webb, a very talented back. I need him to kind of step up this, this next game uh, played well, these first couple of weeks, not what we kind of anticipated him to do his first uh, to start the season. But um, you know, they need to win this game. If you look at their schedule after this, they got Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Ole Miss, South Carolina. You, you want to talk about a gauntlet. Yeah. And I think, 
you read some stuff this week, probably the, the toughest schedule in all of college football at the moment and heading to the rest of their season. So, um, I agree. I think Kansas state comes in and rolls. I think the team is, uh, is just better. Yeah. Uh, but I think Vandy is definitely a team with a lot of talent, um, that can make some noise throughout the season and kind of give some guys some challenges. Uh, and you know, playing at Vandy, it's tough. It's not, the crowd isn't Low juiced. Energy. There's not a lot of energy. Uh, these big teams heading into, into that, to, that stadium, I uh, can kind of get lulled to sleep a little bit, like you say, cause it kind of feels like a high school atmosphere almost. So, um, I'm going Kansas State, and uh, but Vandy, they may make an interesting game a little bit. Over under 51 and a half. You think they score a lot of points in this game, or I, I'm going over. Yeah. Um, I think the Vandys, uh, they've done well in offense. I, I like what they're doing, and and Kansas State can definitely put some points on the board. Yep, uh, we're in agreement again there. So makes for some pretty boring picks on our part, but look, we're going to be right, so that'll make it interesting as well. We know what we're talking about. Week three, sure to be pretty interesting. Obviously, those top two games are going to be fantastic. Tennessee, Florida, LSU, Mississippi State. And if I had to pick one on the back end, I got my eyes on that Kentucky-South Carolina game. So that's that. That's week three. Week two was great sets us up for an awesome week three i'll be in the area no wedding for me this weekend so finally i can kind of sit back and relax and watch some football and if i'm not mistaken you you watched some football last night on a wednesday night didn't you a different type of football a little different type of football a little uh, atlanta united was nice to get in that new stadium for the first time uh unbelievable stadium that mercedes-benz but I'm going to be up in uh or down in in gainesville florida actually i'm heading down there to watch the Tennessee, Florida game. So I'm kind of excited uh, to kind of see what the swamp has, kind of see these two teams live in action, uh, going up there to kind of shadow um, the CBS crew oh, and continue to learn and develop as a uh, as an analyst. So it's going to be fun. Uh, hopefully, it's not too uh, soggy down there in Gainesville right now after the hurricane, but uh, it should be a fun weekend. You're going to be with Duluth, Georgia's finest, Mr. Brad Nestler. Brad Nestler. And a just, certain Gary Danielson. That's a great crew to shadow, so you'll sh- surely have enough fun uh, down there. And if you get a chance, just grab the microphone and, and say punt and pass podcast like 10 times during the broadcast. Oh, 100 times. Yeah, I'm going to kind of slip it in there a little bit too. So Okay. Yeah, they'll, they'll, let, they'll let me sneak in there hopefully. <laughs> awesome, dude. Well, hey, uh, we will be watching SEC football as week three happens. Again, holler at us across social media. We are at Punt and Pass on Twitter and Instagram. Aaron is at Aaron Murray 11. I am at Drew Butler 13. Let us know what you think of our picks. Let us know what you think of this episode. Subscribe, rate, review, swipe up, do all that fun stuff, and holler at us throughout the weekend. It's sure to be another great one across the SEC and college football. So we appreciate you tuning in. We appreciate you listening, and we appreciate your loyalty see you right here next week on the punt and pass punt and pass podcast see you